G'day and welcome to episode 40 of the Bloke Pod, the big 4-0. Bit of a, bit of a milestone episode, isn't it? Yeah, well, let's just hope it goes a little bit better than the movie, the big 4-0, which... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, less, the less said about that, the better. But yes. still, yeah, nice. Our, uh, our South African correspondent during the week Some... tweeted that it was the worst movie he's ever seen. <laughs> Summed it up pretty nicely. Yeah. <laughs> what he said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, a bit, of, a bit of a landmark episode. We enter another decade. Going well. Ooh. 80% of the way to uh, raising the bat for the half century. That's know? right, yeah. Hanging on in there. So maybe we just need to bash out another 10 quite quickly. Well, I was just going to say, seeing as it's an increment of 10, um, and look, despite the, the numerous and rather explicitly threatening emails that we continue to get from David Letterman's um, legal team, yeah. uh, and, top and tens continue. And my mother. <laughs> yeah, our top tens, you know, they're probably one of the top ten things we like to do on our podcast. Yeah, when, say. when in doubt, make a list. Exactly. Checking yeah. it twice. Seems to be there, there's two types mm. of episodes. There's a top ten episode and everything that's not a top ten episode. <laughs> that's a pretty, yeah, apt uh, segmentation of our podcasts there. Okay, now, so we've done, I think over the last few top tens, I've done things like the top ten movies, top ten TV characters, stuff like that. So the almost the natural one to follow on from that was the top ten TV shows, which I sort of suggested off the cuff to you, you know, oh, I'll do my top ten TV shows. Little did I realise what I was putting myself in for then. So, uh, so what Dan's actually admitting to here is actually doing some work. Yeah. Which is... Which is different from yeah, the, uh, exactly. the turning up one minute mm. before we start recording. And, uh, or, or our old uh, check the top YouTube comment or um, yeah, check Wikipedia sort of thing. But no, this one, this one I have to say, it, once you start trying to think about it, particularly trying to compare different genres against each other. Yeah, exactly. William knows how difficult it is. Billy, nice of you to join us on this podcast. Yeah. No, but that—that's some um, exactly. There it is. Should we pause for a sec? Is he gonna? Oh no. But yeah. So well, William pretty much summed it up how sort of difficult it was. So I, the first thing I did just when approaching it was basically went into my bedroom and looked at all the DVDs I've got and just straight away just started writing down the titles of the, the best shows from the DVDs I've purchased. Then stopped and thought about it a bit more, you know, added a couple of extra shows. And by the time I'd sort of written down, okay, these are my all the ones I can think of, I actually had exactly 20. <laughs> so I've had to cull that down to 10. Um, and what I actually came up with was a list of criteria by which I did it. Uh, both Which usually helps for stuff. Well, it's both to help give the discussion some, yeah, some structure, but also <laughs> helps me in a hell of a lot in terms of trying to, yeah, compare, say, a, a cult comedy versus a, a more well-known horror series or something like that. So having, I thought, it's, let's put some rules down on paper, so that way when all our listeners tell me that they think I'm full of shit, I can at least point to something and say, this is what I was going by. And then they can say, well, maybe your classification schema was full of shit. And then they can say, you know what, it might be time for you to start listening to a different podcast. Anyway, <laughs> I don't say Chris as well. I was going to say, there's, there's no way to talk to our listener. Yeah, alright, so I'm just a bit on edge because this thing was a labour of love. <laughs> and many, many hours of work. But no, look, so the criteria I came up with in the end, and what I might do is I'm going to go through my, the top ten, sh- the, sorry, the second ten shows, the ones I culled from that top 20, just to explain, I guess, these criteria and how they work. So 
the first criteria I came up with was just simply how good is their best. So the best episodes of that show, like how high are they, their peaks, basically. Um, and so the second one, obviously, from there then is consistency. So aside from there, you know, the season finales, the sort of landmark episodes, how good are they just across the board week in, week out? So something like The Simpsons would get quite heavily penalised yep, with that in right. mind? Yeah. Sorry, no, yeah, I did say, I'd say the ones I'd called in. Yeah, so in terms of how good was their best, the first two I left off for that were 30 Rock and um, the UK version of The Office. So 30 Rock, as much as I love Jack Donaghy, I think, yeah, it's it's funniest episodes don't really bear comparison with a lot of the other comedies going around. Mm -hmm. So that was why that one fell down. And The Office UK, as much as it is, yeah, an extremely well-written and a show that has, yeah, a massive cult following, it doesn't really have a huge... Yeah, I don't think it's best, best episodes, yeah, were as good as the other shows that made the cut. In terms of consistency, as you say, uh, I mean, straight away, I thought of The Simpsons, um, and then I thought of Scrubs, season nine. <laughs> which well, is... that never happened. <laughs> you, like to, you like to pretend it never happened? It or? never happened. It's not the final series of that 70s show. Yeah. It never happened. Yeah, as far as uh, shit stains upon a legacy go, it's probably only rivaled by The Phantom Menace, you'd have to say. <laughs> um, and the other one I left off in terms of consistency was actually Buffy, which was an interesting one. That was very close to making the list, but season one was quite weak, and season six and seven, after she had died at the end of season five, and then they brought it back for two more seasons, my comment with Buffy has always been, had they stopped it at the end of season five, that would be remembered as one of the great TV shows, because it was exactly 100 episodes, and that final episode was just perfect. Spot on. So, yeah, so the last two seasons saw that one uh, fail to make the cut. Um, Alright, so we talked about, yeah, so how good's their best consistency? The third one I thought up was um, basically when you're watching it, how how much enjoyment or how captivated you are by what you're watching, so how much engagement you have with the show. So I know there's there's one show in particular which made my top ten where when you watch it every, every week, you're just sort of sitting on the edge of your seat. It's so enthralling versus comedies. You know, there are certain comedies you can have on in the background you can sort of just drift in and out versus the best comedies which sort of really engage you. So that was my third criteria. And the ones that I, yeah, didn't make... That's a tough one. It's a very subjective measure. Well... Yeah, I just... Does it, does it, is, it, is it the eyeball test? Does it continue to keep my eyeballs focused on the screen? Is that... And also makes you concentrate, like, yeah. if you're going to miss something. So there are ones where there's... So the, sort of the comedies where, you know, there's so much good snappy dialogue going on, you, you're concentrating every second you're watching it. Mm -hmm. It'll make more sense when I show you the show that I picked based on that one. But the ones that didn't make the cut for me on that were um, Angel, the spin-off from Buffy... Um, uh, which, yeah, just yeah, wasn't quite as strong as my top ten. And True Blood. True Blood was an interesting one because it's it's sort of very... A different take. It was sort of Bucky for Gen Y. It's a, quite a different take on the whole vampire thing, but it just doesn't... It's a good show. It doesn't quite drag me in the way others do. The next criteria I came up with was the characters, the best characters that they have on the show. Um, and this is also because, I guess, on the back,
back of our top ten characters podcast, I looked at all the characters from there, and uh, you know, a lot of those shows just straight away made my list. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, for me, the ones that didn't, yeah, that got culled based on that criteria were Curb Your Enthusiasm and and Torchwood, both very very strong shows in their own right, but none of them have, I guess, that ensemble cast or, or alternatively that one pivotal character who is so critical to the show. Well, obviously, Larry David's the one on yeah. Curb. But, yeah, I guess it, they didn't have that those characters. Yeah, I'd consider that Curb a little bit tough to be excluded on that criteria. Yeah. But anyway. No, but all the other characters, there's, yeah. no, there's no sort of one character on that show that I watch, oh, I love that guy, you know, I love his dialogue and that. There's no one like that for me on yeah. Curb. Alright, so the, the final original criteria I came up with before I added the sixth one was the uniqueness of the show. The sense that this show does something that no other, well, very few other TV shows out there successfully do. And very quick, very easily, the ones that didn't make the cut for me on that basis were The fa- uh, Family Guy and The Simpsons. Purely because, um, with the exception of maybe the last few years of Family Guy where they decided it's going to become an MA show and we'll drop F-bombs every three words instead. It's, I guess you can just say, you know, Family Guy, The Simpsons, American Dad, Futurama, South Park. There's a lot of those, I guess, those same sorts of shows out there, whereas the ones in my top ten, yeah, are sort of more unique offerings. Mm -hmm. And then the last one I came up with when I was thinking of other shows that I might include was just Longevity, Um, because something like American Horror Story, that is, I've only seen the first season of that, but that is a really, really good show and very, yeah, very different from anything else I've ever watched. But after one season, I couldn't quite include it. Things like, yeah, The Office UK um, and also Extras as well, I, I left out on that. Um, and the other one was Breaking Bad, which I have I know it has gone on for a while now, but I've only just started watching season two. Mm. So, of those, yeah, top 20... So, I mean, based, just, just based on that, so you, they're, they're all relatively equal weighting in terms of the decisions you're making, or...? Uh, I think the order that I read them out in them was pr- sort kind of the... Or, yeah, yeah, that was the order that I looked okay. at. Yep. So, yeah. So, I'll just rail them off again then. It was, how good is the, are the best episodes of the show? Yeah. How consistent are they week in, week out? Yeah. How much engagement and sort of, yeah, how enthralled are you and sort of focused on the show when you're watching it? Um, the characters upon the show, either the ensemble cast or particular characters who I really like. Um, the uniqueness or sense that, yeah, the show is different from everything else out there. And the longevity. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, something uh, uniqueness and longevity kind of working, they're, they're a little bit diametrically opposed, I think, sometimes. Mm, yeah. It's hard to have something that's truly unique yeah. that often has a long span so I just wanted to I can make that comment about a few shows that yeah. make my list no, too I'm yeah. just saying, it's yeah. the reason that the Kardashians is still on the air whereas a lot of cult shows like Firefly and that get cancelled after yes. two years for instance yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that's a yeah as I say it doesn't yeah. anyway because if you're in public idiots let's go with that <laughs> yeah I think the basketball giants summed that up the best stop making stupid people famous yeah, the general public are idiots, and I do wish they'd stop making stupid people famous, like the Kardashians, for instance. But anyway, this is about the best, not the worst. So, Simply please, get us back on track. 
Alright, well, so I guess I can jump into my top ten now, but first I'll go through all those honourable mentions, the, the second ten. The second eleven. Yeah. <laughs> Minus one. That's um, right, let's hope they do better in India than yeah. the Australian cricket team. Than the Australian second eleven. <laughs> um, so they were, in no particular order, um, The Simpsons, Family Guy, Buffy, Angel, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Torchwood, True Blood, The Office UK, Extras, and 30 Rock. And, I mean, yeah, rattling off those ten again there, there really isn't a bad show amongst them. Well, except for the past ten years of The Simpsons, perhaps. But other than that, yeah, yeah. those are ten very solid shows, which, which just tells you how good the top ten must be. So, without further ado... Here we go. Let's jump into it. Starting with number ten. Number ten! Thank you. Thank you, Gigi. <laughs> which is Community. Ooh. Now, this is one that I have done having only seen a couple of episodes of season four and having been relatively disappointed with them so far. But based on those first three seasons, I mean, when you talk about the criteria, it ticks so many of the boxes. It's just, it's so different from any other comedy out there. Um, the, the, the ensemble cast, and I think particular Ar- Arbed, particularly Arbed, who's my favourite character, but the ensemble cast are really strong in this one. And I think, yeah, the, the sense that their worst episode from those first three seasons would still be very, very funny. Like, there, there wasn't really a, a sort of weak point across those first three seasons. Very, very solid. And I guess, yeah, just one of those new shows which I've only picked up recently, but a very, very good comedy, and I hope to God it <laughs> it doesn't completely crack the bed in season four. Starting to make a comeback. Yep. Yeah, so... I mean, there's always going to be, yeah, once you sack the creator and the two head writers, it's hard to sort of just slip straight back into that same same mould. Yeah. But yeah, I think that the talent of that cast across the board is very, very strong. Um, and yeah, just a genuinely funny show. So, number nine. Number nine is The Hollow Men, which is Ooh. a series on the ABC. Now, now, that is a real left field choice, but a very good choice. It is, but this this show is just political satire at its absolute finest. And me and a, a couple of mates who I watch it with uh, secretly suspect that um, it was it was cut from the ABC because the federal government decided that some of its uh, <laughs> punches were hitting a little bit too close to home perhaps. But this is uh, another Working Dog Productions, and can I just, yeah, just say quickly, any good Australian comedy over the last 20 years will invariably be a Working Dog Productions. Or it'll be tied back to the late show in some way, shape or form. Yeah, the D-Gen team, yeah. Um, So this, Rob Sitch and Santo are the only two yeah, two two actors from that from that cast, but it also has um, Lockie Hume, Hume is, I think it's happened. Yeah, Lockie Hume, who a lot of people would um, instantly recognise now as the guy who played Kerry Packer yeah. in How's That, as well as the guy who does the voiceovers for Fox Footy, <laughs> yeah. which is a random little thing. Merrick Watts is in it. Too, it yes, it? yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but this is yeah, as I say, I cannot speak highly enough of just how accurately it portrays the political. 
I guess, yeah, the politicising that goes on behind closed doors in Canberra, it is an extremely sharp, sharp uh, look at what goes on there. I mean, in terms of just, yeah, the, the whole talk is talk is more important than actions. Uh, the Oh, we've referred it to a, an investigation panel. Or was it a committee? Or was it a task force? Uh, can you find out what we called it? <laughs> um, and I guess, yeah, the a lot of the frustrations that the Australian general public would have with the politicians in Canberra. This show puts the biggest spotlight on them and then, yeah, enlarges them a thousand percent. But it is a very, very funny show. And, yeah, well worth a look because I think it's probably a, a sort of a, a cult show. Not too many people would have, would have probably watched it. Number eight. Number eight is... The Walking Dead. Now, when I was listing my criteria before and I was talking about that engagement or captivation, this is the show that I specifically had in mind. Because when you're watching that show, it is just, yeah, it, it is more captivating than any other television show I've ever seen. The, just, I mean, it's an extremely violent show. They don't shy away from that at all. So you do see people, you know, getting eaten alive, getting their faces ripped off and stuff like that. But just the, the hordes of zombies chasing the survivors and the way that so many episodes have these sort of extended chase scenes and running away and stuff like that and then you sort of look up at the clock and 20 minutes have gone by just just watching that you are you are just on the edge of your seat the entire time and I think the biggest well I mean the biggest thing you can the best thing I can say about this show is that right now in the US it is the number one show for people aged 18 to 45 now for an MA rated post-apocalypse zombie horror show, to be the number one show in that yeah in the advertisers wet dream demographic that speaks volumes for yeah for the quality of the show and again probably the quality of the cast the ensemble cast that they have number seven number seven is black books the BBC comedy with uh, Dylan Moran and Bill Bailey. This is, I think, probably the first sort of BBC show that I ever watched, and it, it just reaffirmed my belief that no one does comedy better than the British. Dylan Moran's character in particular, who they describe as facing... <laughs> Join us as he faces the twin battles of sobriety and customers... <laughs> is just one of my all-time favourite TV characters. And the interplay between him and his long-suffering assistant, Manny, in particular, is just comic gold. It only ran for three seasons, and in BBC style, there's the six episodes per season, so only 18 episodes. But I think what you have to remember with these BBC shows is that the, the quality is so high that if they, if they tried running them for the standard 22-week season like the US do, it would just, that would just diminish it. So the BBC do that really well, the whole less is more approach. And this show is, yeah, from start to finish, episode 1 to episode 18, it is solid across the board. Yep. Number 6. Number 6 brings us to Dexter. Once again, this is one where the whole uniqueness element really came into play. Um, I'm not, I think Dexter was probably one of the first really big hits for Showtime, um, and I think the the whole the whole premium premium cable TV has now pretty much taken over in America. I think now NBC and ABC and CBS are realising that they simply can't compete with these these shows. And I think yeah, it's probably fair to say Dexter was maybe the first the first one that really really 
really won that that sort of critical acclaim um, and that cult following as well. Well, not, not so much cult following, I guess, but sort of mainstream following. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think maybe something like The Sopranos, Six Feet Under, those sorts of ones came before, but I think Dexter was sort of at the start of, I guess, the, the, the premium cable era. Let, let's go with that. Um, the, the concept, when I first read about it before I'd seen an episode, the concept of having a serial killer who murders, I think they described it as Dexter does very bad things to very, very bad people. And I remember reading that going, geez, I don't know how they could pull that off, like how they could make it, I guess, acceptable to the viewer, make mm. people relate and side with him. Because at the end of the day, yeah, he is brutally murdering people, dumping their bodies in the ocean. And I know there are a lot of people out there. I think I was watching a documentary recently where I think it was Ron Howard said, oh, my, yeah, I think it was Ron Howard said, I've never watched an episode of the show and I never will just because I just, I can't stand that sort of violence. And I know my dad, for one, that takes the exact same approach. He just, yeah, that just completely um, just, yeah, makes it unwatchable for him. But I think they do a, okay, my co-host is also saying that covers him as well. I've never watched it and I have no intentions of ever watching yeah. it either. Well, this would be interesting to get your take then because, as I say, when I went into it, I was very sort of interested to see how they pull that off. The justifications and the way that they do get the audience to sympathise with Dexter are so cleverly written and so well done. I mean, it's based on the um, Darkly Darkly Dreaming Dexter novel series by Jeff Lindsay. Um, So obviously they have the the material to work with, but it, it, it really does do a very good job, I guess, of... Not so much. Yeah, I guess making it understandable oh. that level of violence that he does. I'm not. I'm not disputing that. I'm just no interest, no inclination, yeah. whatsoever to watch that. Mm. And, not, and several people have tried to get me mm. to watch it. But yeah. yeah. So just just the violence. Just never taken. Yeah. No. Well, as you say, the whole premise as well. Yeah. That's all right. Doesn't yeah. do it for me. I mean, for me, the 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 thing that kept it going for me for those first two seasons was the character of James Dokes and. In the pilot episode, Dexter says something like, why is it that out of an entire police department, Dokes is the only one who sees me for what I really am? And that, that, the byplay between the two of them is sort of Dexter ducking and weaving. And then particularly in season two, where they find where he's dumped the bodies and they bring in the the FBI, um, the guy who catches, Frank Lundy, the guy who catches all the serial killers. That is play there with him trying not to get caught, but Dokes on him, you know, Frank Lundy on him, all that going on at the same time. That second season is one of the best seasons of any show I've ever watched. And I think, again, there's a really strong ensemble cast there. So Deb Morgan, the, the potty mouth sister of his, who's the lieutenant. Um, uh, Vince Masuka, the <laughs> dirty-minded um, lab geek. Uh, Detective uh, Joe Quinn, or Queenie Boy, as me and a couple of mates like to call him, who's yeah has episodes where he's having to um, go back to a woman's house who he's slept with the night before and a hot daughter answers the door before, and Quinn eventually realises that he slept with the mum and taken a number of explicit pictures on his phone and left his gun in her back seat and that, that sort of stuff. There are a number of other characters that, yeah, that help carry the show forward as well. So, halfway there. Number five. It's The Office, the US version. Now, this, this was a very tough one for me because since Steve Carell left, that show has gone downhill quicker than a toboggan down Mount Everest. <laughs> Let's go with that. But um, I think, whereas some of the other shows are cold based on their consistency, 
this one has had, yeah, had seven seasons of absolutely top draw, like the funniest show on TV comedy. Um, and even now that Michael Scott has left, there are still so many other characters on the show that make it watchable. The problem that they have is that all the relationships with Michael Scott were the ones that were sort of key to the show. So it's a bit, it's very difficult. It's like doing the UK office without David Brent. It's very, very difficult to do. But from those, I guess those five seasons from season three to season seven, um, when The Office was running, that was a weekly thing, was myself and my best mate, we'd usually catch up every Friday night, would be to, to watch that new episode of The Office, week in, week out. Um, and yeah, that was probably, yeah, for, as I say, for those five years, that was a real fa- framework, was just every Friday night grabbing that new Office episode. The cast, I mean, I, you can just say sort of Jim, Pam, Dwight, Stanley, Creed, Phyllis, Brian, Kelly, Toby, there's, there's so many good characters on that show and so many, like, the subtle relationships that each of them have with one another that just make the show so, I guess, complex. A lot of the times they say about it, there's so much going on in one scene at a particular time. There's sort of Michael standing there addressing the office. There's, you know, Jim trying to catch Pam's eye at reception. There's Kelly cuddling up to Ryan while he's trying to text someone else. There's... There's so much going on in those in those scenes, um, and I think that's yeah, that's probably one of the best ensemble casts going around on telly today. Number four. Number four is Stargate. Now, I did. I'm a pretty big fan of sci-fi. It's fair to say. Um, I think this is the the only one I've really got on my list. Torchwood just didn't make the cut. But well, let me put it this way about this show: they tried to cancel it three years in a row. They said it was going to get cancelled, and they didn't because the viewer figures were so high for it. Now, that just doesn't happen for a sci-fi show. Look at Firefly, for instance, and look at all the other sci-fi shows out there that are doomed to only have cult status because they simply can't attract a mainstream enough audience not Stargate it kept going and those last three seasons were some of their best as well the weekly adventures that they would have were always always watchable very watchable um, Colonel O'Neill played by Richard Dean Anderson I mean anyone who can at the end of their career say I played MacGyver and Colonel O'Neill that is a very very good <laughs> resume right there that he's got um, uh, Daniel Jackson in particular as well obviously the fact that he shares a name with me helps but that character was was so important to that whole show and when they brought him back after he had one season off the show I think it was in season six and the fans essentially rose up as one and demanded him back he became the real the central figure on the show once um yeah Colonel O'Neill became General O'Neill and faded into the background somewhat but I think more than any other sci-fi show I think the problem with sci-fi is that a lot of the time it's either too implausible there's too much I guess gobbledygook going on with it, or there are too many um, weak episodes, filler episodes as I like to call them. What Stargate did incredibly well was ensure that every single episode had had some meaning or some relevance. They didn't do big story arcs, but there was always the the big bad of the gold, and yeah, it was always, always, there was always some reason to be watching it each week. You didn't get the feeling, oh, they're sort of just 
just waiting till sweeps in a couple of weeks' time. It was always watchable. The special effects and the music were always really, really strong with this show, which I think is very important for a sci-fi show. Um, and it was, yeah, quite interesting to watch that evolution from season one to season ten, the way they did actually, I think, as you see the budget getting bigger and bigger sort of thing, they do more and more stuff. But I think when it comes down to it, more than any other show, it was a sci-fi show that was just utterly, utterly watchable. Whereas, yeah, as I say, so many sci-fi shows are based on a flimsy premise or you're not really engaged with the the big bad or there's, you know, there's too much going on that it doesn't generate that sort of popular appeal. Stargate sort of achieved that through simplicity, I guess, was just, yeah. There's a big bad, the gold, we're travelling to other worlds with a Stargate, go from there. And I think it, it... remains to me the greatest sci-fi show of all time big call big call indeed (laughs) number three all right now we get into the big ones number three is seinfeld (laughs) the one rated the number one show of all time by tv week um when whenever you make a list of your top tv shows i think probably as a result of that tv week um article your first instinct is to immediately put seinfeld at number one a lot of the time. I couldn't quite do that. Um, I thought season based, nine... I mean, based on your criteria, it's understandable that it's not. Mm. It, I mean, it fills those criteria, but the the best... I mean, the, it certainly fills the first criteria, but it, I reckon it fails a little bit on consistency. Yeah. The first couple of seasons weren't really that great. Yeah, and the last one, it, it went on for one season too long. Yeah. The, the first, season eight, after Larry David left, there was... You could sort of tell that he wasn't the driver force behind the show anymore but there were enough really solid episodes in there to keep it going but once they hit season nine i mean particularly towards the end it was it was becoming more of a sort of kramer slapstick comedy i think that was the tipping point was when it became about when it switched from being more about george and his (laughs) his own yeah paranoia and schemes and um everything that he was going through to becoming more about um kramer slipping over and you know banging his head and falling over and just doing all sorts of physical comedy gags um, but for those seasons I guess three through eight well yeah it was the greatest show on television at the time mm. there's, there's there's no argument about that um, I think the two things you can say about this show is that it's it's ageless mm. you can sit down and watch a Seinfeld episode which I mean they were from the early 90s now so we're going about 20 years now but you can pop them in the DVD player today and it will be as watchable now as it was then um, and the second one, I guess, is just... I think we've discussed this before, is just its contribution to popular culture. Yep. The only other one I can think of that comes close is The Simpsons. But by that, just the quotes, the references, the in-jokes, just oh. all the tiny little... The minu- minutiae of that show is yada, just unparalleled. Yada, yada, yada. Not that there's oh, anything I wasn't wrong even with go- I wasn't even going to tr- try starting to quote them because yeah. I thought I'd be going for two and a half minutes. Sponge but yeah, them. almost... Every episode from three to seven has a reference that would now be recognised by probably 75% of, of the Western population. Of course, I missed the obvious no soup for you one. I don't know. I don't like the Super Nasty episode. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, oh, oh, I love it. It's, it's one just, of my favourites. It's just, it's just one of many that are, yeah. that are really solid across there. It gets a bit too much cult status these days, I think. But, yeah. Anyway. As I say, I mean, you don't really need to say much more about no, Seinfeld. Well, we've yeah. already dedicated an episode to Seinfeld, yeah. so I could probably... And we could dedicate several more if we yeah. had to, yeah. Number two. Number two. It's is, certainly not number two, I'm hoping. No, it's, it's House. This was a tough call. 
Um, ironically, both House and Seinfeld ran for nine seasons. Uh, to, um, can I be honest? I'm surprised that it's number two. I would have thought that this would be your number one pick. Yeah, yeah, that, no, that's probably a fair call. Um, it probably, if you had spoken to me a couple of months ago, it might have been. So I'll, I'll get to that point in a little bit. But um, look, what can I say about this show? I mean, James Wilson is absolutely one of my all-time favourite characters, and um, the relationship between him and House that carries the show forward week in week out. The interesting thing they always used to say about House and Wilson was that everyone else on the show who um, relates to House, who interacts with House I should say, they're all paid to be there so they all have to work with him, his boss has to work with him, those those sort of things. Wilson is the only one who's actually there by choice and I think, I don't want to call it a bromance so much but I guess yeah, that friendship between those two, let me put it this way, that's the best friendship I've ever seen in any TV show Mm -hmm. and the ninth season in particular when they had um, basically said well there's going to be no more Cuddy um, they ditched a lot of the um, the main cast for the first handful of episodes while he was getting out of jail and stuff like that they basically rebranded it similar to what Scrubs did in season nine but just this was I mean well this is what Scrubs had to do basically everyone who watched it you would have thought oh I don't know can they pull this off and about three weeks in you were sort of starting to doubt it they pulled it off and then some that last season and the final episodes in that season in particular which um, dealt with uh, Wilson receiving a cancer diagnosis I I struggle to think right now of, uh, of any other show that has has hit that high note as its as its um, finishing point yeah I really can't and it was it was the perfect ending to that show but for nine years before that week in week out there was one patient there was a mystery illness there were always going to be sudden uh, codes or some you know house getting it wrong before a couple of ad breaks it was someone once said to me I can't watch it because it's so formulaic and I admit it is formulaic as hell the thing is the formula works with this show and the writing staff were good enough over a nine year period to see that it never felt stale it always felt yeah it always felt vibrant and you never got the feeling oh here comes the all too predictable this sort of thing sort of like with um, Californication oh here comes the all too predictable Hank's going to get together with Karen oh but then something goes wrong at the last minute House would probably do that on a weekly basis but they did it in such a way that you never thought of it as a as a predictable it never sort of became tiresome or cliched and yeah I think from episode one through to the final episode there was not one bad episode in there not one and we talk about shows like Seinfeld and the office and all these other shows which have gone on for that long it's incredibly hard to do it mm. parks and recreation is struggling now and it's in its well i've just seen season four and it's already struggling it's so hard to keep a good thing going but yeah and yes house, house and, does it. and yet it's number two so i guess we're talking about something pretty special but yeah. i guess here we go number one number one my number one show of all time is arrested development what can I say about this show? I mean, it, it really is strange that this show got cancelled after three seasons. I, it must be the only show ever to win five Emmys, including the Emmy for Outstanding Comedy Series, and be cancelled two years later. But I was recently going through some old DVDs and I came across the three seasons of Arrested Development. I'll go back through and watch these again. I watched through all three of them in about a week. A week later, I came back and I watched all three of them again. I'm currently going through all three of them again for the 
third time in about a couple of months. And with each viewing, it's it's just it's actually getting funnier. It's actually getting better. I'm noticing more of the in jokes, more of the clever dialogue. I mean, the writing on this show is it's unbelievable. There is no other comedy that has come remotely close to matching the depth and the intelligence of the humour that this show possesses. But at the same time, there's there's slapstick comedy. There's Tobias, you know, painting his face blue and falling over and um, yeah, falling off a wheelchair and over a, over a flight of stairs. There's Job, the try-hard magician who's squirting people with lighter fluid rather than actually <laughs> creating fire as he wants to. There's uh, Buster Bluth who has his hand bitten off by a seal and then is walking around with a hook for the last season and a half. There's, there's every single character on that show is hilarious enough to be sort of, you know, my favourite character. You know, if you think of Community, I've got Arbed. If you think of Black Books, I've got um, Bernard Black. If you think of The Office, you've obviously got Michael Scott. Every single one of the characters on this show is strong enough to be that sort of funniest character in their own right. Um, and I've just found out quite recently that it will now be being brought back for a fourth season on Netflix, starting in a month and a half and I think yeah it's the best news I've ever received about a TV show I'm so genuinely excited to watch it again the concept is I I, I certainly uh, with regards to how they're they're letting it play out the concept well and truly plays into that uniqueness phrase as well yeah I don't know how much you've read of what they're actually planning to do yeah there's basically and in fact it ties in beautifully with what I was just saying about how each character is that strong yeah there are going to be 13 episodes and each one is going to focus on a different character each week. Um, so there's going to, uh, the names of them are almost like uh, Michael 1, Michael 2, Joe 1, Lindsay, Tobias, you know. So each week there's going to be a different one. But I'm so excited about that because the one thing this show did really well, which is something that Seinfeld started, but this show takes it to a whole another lev- level, is the dovetailing of storylines and jokes and references that all then get paid off in one hit at the end. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of running gags in it. The, the her about um, George Michael's girlfriend Anne. Um, the Tobias trying to join the Blue Man group. Um, you, you know, there's a, there's a lot of that sort of I guess ongoing gag stuff. But it's just the writing of the show. The writing is just exceptional, extraordinary. There is no other show that comes close to that level of, I guess, so many just references, so much humour. With every line, there might be a clever turn of phrase or, yeah, play on words. Just every ten seconds, there's something like that. There's no sort of, I guess, the friends approach of sort of building it up to the obvious punchline delivered by Jennifer Aniston sort of thing. This is sort of subtle, you know, just understated humour throughout every, every second of every show. And that's why going back to it and watching it again and again and again it, it becomes, yeah, even funnier because you actually pick up on more and more of these little things. So, I mean, it's critically... When you go to the Wikipedia site for it, the, the first thing you read is just that the critics have acclaimed this show as one of the best of all time. And there's a very, very good um, blooper on, I think it's the season two disc, where um, the character who plays Tobias is going off on a little bit of a rant. And he says, you know what? If, if you've got a show that's won five Emmys, you know, Screen Actors Guild Choice Awards, he lists for about 40 seconds all the awards that the show has won. and says, if you can't market the hell out of that show, 
then maybe you need to look at your fucking marketing department rather than the show itself. And as he finishes it, you just hear this spontaneous applause from all the the cast, you know, the, the crew and everyone behind the scenes. And I think that's so true. I simply cannot understand how this show got cancelled. Mm. And yeah, it's as I say, I'm, I'm extremely excited to see them bringing it back. So, there you have it. There it is. The top ten. It was very difficult to do this one. It's not like the others where you had automatic picks. And as I say, ranking genre against genre, very difficult as well. But now that I've done I've got that list, yeah, I'm very happy with that top ten. Ten bloody good shows. So... On that note, give us your feedback. Yeah, let us know what you think. Send us your favourite shows. You can get yeah. us at, um, da- at Dan the Action Man on Twitter and at the Bloke Pod on Twitter. So, yeah, send us your thoughts. Tell us what you think. Send them all to Dan. Oh, <laughs> no, send the abusive ones to the Bloke Pod. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've really enjoyed doing that as well. It's a good exercise listening to your top ten. So, more of the more more layers of the onion have been unravelled. I hope they didn't make you cry. <laughs> so, until next time. Later, skaters. Later, hosen.